You are listening to Genuine Chit Chat. This show is for real. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I'm joined by David Kerfis of the We Are Melomaniacs podcast. So I must advise going into this that this conversation does contain explicit language and we do also talk about trauma a fair amount. So just a little pre-warning there. Uh, But this conversation is a really enjoyable one and it is one which delves into these sort of darker topics. But David has such a good perspective on all these things that isn't really, really depressing at its core. So we speak about music and how it can help people get through their trauma and their struggles with mental health. And we speak about like the more extreme end of music, you know, heavy metal and death metal, those sorts of things that both myself and David enjoy. And we also speak about David's book that he's written, the post-apocalyptic horror fiction books, as well as his podcast, which I just mentioned, which is specifically about dealing with trauma and music. So we speak about all those kinds of things. All the links are in the description of anything we spoke about, including a poem that David released in the Of Horror and Hope collection, and a few other bits and pieces too. So always check out the show notes. Make sure you stick around to the end so I give you a bit more information on what's to come. And uh, without further ado, here is David Kerfis. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. Neither am I. (laughs) I am here today with a gentleman who has um, worn many hats. You have got a podcast that you recently started. Um, You're an author of two books. And you've got a lot of other secrety things going on in the background that in the future, later on, after this podcast has been released, the world will know about uh, when they follow you on the various uh, platforms and etc. So I'm here with David. I should have asked how to pronounce your surname. Is it Kerfis? It is. It's oh, Kerfis. It means visible, uncurable disease. Wow. Yes. That That is pretty damn cool. And <laughs> so um, you basically, um, you start a podcast recently uh, that people can find on YouTube. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what it actually is and why you started a podcast? Yeah, man. So the podcast is the easiest way to summarize it is it was my way to find joy in life. Um, I needed to connect my passions and I couldn't do it through my day job. I love writing, but I still wasn't getting the release I needed mentally. I could work out all day long. It wasn't clearing. So I had to find a way to clear my my consciousness and de-stress. And music has always been my go-to escape route when I feel like shit. Um, And I'm also a pretty big mental health advocate. And I just came up with this idea to kind of fuse the two. So I came up with the uh, We Are Melomaniacs podcast. And, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy it. And it's turned out to be the most passionate thing I'm doing. So I just get on, I find musicians who are willing to open up completely vulnerable. And we talk about the shit that's happened in our life, both good and bad, and how music has been there for us. So it's really just a life journey between me and other artists. Um, Yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. It's just a mental health and music awareness talk. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things with music is because music is all about expression you know it's a very it can be a very personal art form and i think one of my issues with music i haven't got any issues with pop music per se but i don't really like it when you've got loads and loads of different studio artists all kind of making similar sounding music i'm not as much of a fan of that i'd much rather something that's weird or different or kind of uh takes the plunge somewhere different experimentation and etc goes 
like uniqueness i would rather i'd rather a band does something unique that isn't that amazing to me than something that i've heard you know a thousand times over and one of the things i think links into that and we'll come back and forth through the podcast because music is so heavily interweaved with it is because i just want to talk about this immediately because i was even talking to you about this before pressing record so i'm just selfishly taking this uh, subject matter is a very well extreme metal so i like you know Oh, I, I call it genre fluid. You know, I like everything from I like classical, I like pop music, I like uh, male female vocalists, and I like rap as well as heavy metal, death metal, certain deathcore, lots of those things. And some of the individuals you've had on your podcast so far, the music that they release would be considered, you know, on the metal spectrum. So, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about your appreciation of metal from the more sort of uh, the more well-known metals, you know, sort of Metallica, Iron Maiden, the kind of the classics and air quotes, to some of the more extreme on the spectrum you know i grew up in a house full of music uh if we weren't playing music in the house we were going to concerts uh both my mom and aunt had a lot of musicians over throughout the years so i had the privilege of meeting musicians and going to shows and everybody that we hung around was into metal Mm -hmm. so i was birthed you know, in the metal world, which for the 80s would have been glam rock and classic rock. Uh, But then you had, you know, Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, uh, early Havoc, um, Megadeth and so on and so forth. You know, Metallica, which was there from day one. And then, you know, some of the glam music like Molly Crew, War, Kicks, you know, Great White, Cinderella, White Snake. Over the years, as I got older, I started venturing out on my own and finding my own sound. Yes, I loved that stuff I grew up on, but like me, music was morphing. Um, I discovered Alice in Chains and then I discovered Nirvana. So I went through a little grunge phase right about the time I was discovering 90s, like early 90s rap. Then I found heavy metal, like real legit heavy metal. It I would say it was like the early Slayer, but I didn't discover Slayer until later on. I just started finding really heavy music. And it fit me at the age because I would have been an early teen. I was stressed the fuck out from the stuff going on in my house. You know, my dad wasn't around. Uh, My mom had her boyfriends. We always had parties. The house constantly smelled like fucking weed. And back then, you know, that was the bad drug. You know, there was other shit going on. Um, if there wasn't, we was fucking smoke in the air, there was alcohol and other things that wasn't uncommon for me to come home and find blood stains on the wall from fights that broke out. Jesus. Uh, hell, half the time there were holes in the wall from where someone's head or fist went through it. It was a very common thing to come home to the aftermath of a violent evening. Um, and then there were the times I was at my grandparents' house and I could hear my grandmother and father fighting you know, you can hear the bottle shattering. Well, that develops anxiety in a kid. And when you're young like that, and you know, being a dude, you know, I was young, I had testosterone. I needed, aggr- I needed aggressive shit. And for me, I found heavy music, uh, early Cannibal Corpse, early Napalm Death, um, eventually Slayer, Sepultura. Then I discovered Machine Head and Fear Factory and just the list goes on and on. New metal comes out. I started dis- discovering new metal, Deftones, Corn, uh, Power Man 5000, Coal Chamber. Um, I just, I needed an outlet and I needed something aggressive that meshed with how I was feeling. 
And one of the things that people say to me all the time is, dude, you're already high strong. How are you going to listen to metal? You need something to calm you down. Metal does calm me down. Metal is a soothing sound. Like I hear it and I feel good inside. Like it brings me joy. Like it was my, it was my safety net when there was nothing else. It was my first love. Like as cheesy as that fucking sounds, I was a young kid and I had nowhere to turn. I had music. That music fucking gave me a warm hug. So of course, when I listen to heavy music, I, I feel that. So yes, I do like more chill music, especially now, you know, I'm in my forties and it's nice to, you know, occasionally put on some chill shit. Like I have a very fluid musical, uh, genre or taste, we should say, you know, my, 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 uh, my stream will go from whiskey Myers to dawn of ashes to crystal castles to kmfdm to cannibal corpse to cattle decapitation to taylor swift you know nice. uh, and i would like to blame my daughter for the taylor swift but i fucking like taylor swift uh, <laughs> no shame. Sh- it shouldn't be Dude. shame her reputation album personally is my favorite of hers my fiance adores taylor swift i mean it's funny when i talk to people about my eclectic music taste i find it entertaining because Certain people, you go, you know, what kind of music are you into? You ask them and they go, um, oh, yeah, I'm into everything. And I'm like, okay, so you like, you know, you like death metal. Like, oh, no, I don't like that. So you just like heavy metal. No, no, I don't like that. Do you like any metal or any rock? No, not not as much. I'm like, well, metal takes up such a huge percentage of music, especially if you go to some of the uh, Scandinavian countries in Europe and things. It's like black metal is everywhere. And not just black metal. Obviously, there's other sort of uh, genres and things. But it's like metal for me, as you have very uh, well you've put it in such an articulate way where I feel that the most calm, if if I need calming down, I listen to heavy music because it's part of the emotional spectrum. You know, when you're feeling sad, you generally people would often listen to sad music. You know, when you're feeling happy and summery, you want that upbeat pop punk music or some of the pop music and things. You kind of want that upbeat thing to keep the buzz going. When you're angry, for some reason, society has this weird thing where they think that anger is one of the few emotions that in music is just not allowed in the mainstream. I think that nowadays things are coming more to it because so many more uh, young people especially, but like myself as well, having Spotify. And with that, the the lines between genres are not as defined. You know, beforehand, I know I'm younger than you are, but I still remember going to uh, HMV, is the shop we had in here in uh, England, and buying like Metallica's S&M CD. And being so excited for it, because it's a great hit CD, and it's got a symphony orchestra, and I've always loved orchestras, and like bands like uh, Apocalyptica, and things like that. So any orchestral movement into them, and Evanescence, in that, I love it. And I remember going home with a CD, and so excited thinking about it, going home just sitting there and listening to it for ages. And as much as I enjoy Spotify and streaming music, and the ease as a consumer, there is a degree of that difference of having a CD there, and, and listening to that instead of flipping between things but when you've got these playlists that are kind of a culmination of certain singles and things people like i think that it can spread to pushing the boundaries a little bit if you know because i'm interested with you like if i deep dive a little bit more into as you delved into more metal with me i didn't like metal to begin with i liked muse and evanescence and things and rap uh, like eminem and etc and then my friends really like Slipknot and I it was too much for me too heavy Slipknot uh, before I forget I was like nope too much play on Guitar Hero a lot and they kept playing it and I was like I don't like playing it it's too much and then one day it just clicked and then as soon as it clicked with Slipknot their uh, third album and then I got into their first album which to this day I think is one of the greatest metal albums ever for me personally from there it was so much easier 
to get into the more heavier music with unclean vocals. So I've just thrown a lot at you just then <laughs> about stuff. So I, I thought starting with the the zooming in on the change of genre from that kind of more 80s glam music to things with a lot more unclean vocals, a lot more shouting, as people may know. Did you find that transition very difficult or was it quite an ease in part? And then you can content everything else I've just said. <laughs> well, I fucking loved it. As soon as I heard the first guttural growl, you know, what a lot of people call Cookie Monster Rock, I fucking loved it, man. <laughs> like that. What the fuck are you saying? <laughs> I love that. I, it went so, like, natural to me. Like, it just resonated. So I, I had no issues going from listening to literally i remember the day i was listening to anthrax sound of white noise with my buddy i think we were we, we were we yeah it was anthrax sound of white noise we literally popped on cannibal corpse the bleeding and i was like what the fuck is this i love it and it was such a transition because anthrax had those super clean vocals but the music was still fairly it's thrashy as fuck then we go straight to Cannibal Corpse, The Bleeding, which I still, I think, is my favorite Cannibal Corpse album. Just so, like, I was like, yes, it's a horror movie, but musical. It's a musical horror movie. Fuck yeah. Like, I just, it went naturally. And then from there, I started looking for more. Um, I, I got really big into Napalm Death. Uh, Utopia Banished was the first album I heard of theirs. Then Fear, Emptiness, Despair. I actually reference Fear, Emptiness, Despair in my novel, the um, one of the chapters. Actually, it's a funny thing about my book. So the title, I'm going to plug myself here. Do it. Do it. So the book itself is called A Thousand Miles to Nowhere. I came up with the title listening to um, Dez's second band because he had cold chamber then he created devil driver devil driver i've seen them yes. live many times had all their albums on cd sorry yes. <laughs> i love no, you no, you're absolutely good i could go, like i love it um they put out a, an outlaws album called outlaws to the end and they did a remake of the song a thousand miles from nowhere mm. i just loved it the music the way that first intro like that first chord hit i was like wait this is it this is it this is this is it like that song title summarized the entire well the plot behind the story not the story but it was the plot um more or less but within the book every chapter is also named after a song so for instance chapter 15 which is first chapter in part two the memory remains metallic nice. you know um my buddy um they're from shit where's he from is he from sweden i think he's from sweden the band's called Misery Loves Company. I gave them a, a track, uh, or a track, let's see, we're talking about music, uh, a chapter. To, uh, it's all yours. It's a song off their first album. Um, just almost everything in here, like Last Breath, which is the second to last chapter in the book, is after the first Hate Breed song I ever heard. Mm. Absolutely fell in love with it. This whole book is like inspired by music and my trauma. And my like my loss, like the anxieties I was going through. But to get back to your question, it was really fucking easy to get into metal, the heavier shit. And now I listen to black metal. Like I'm, I really love black metal now. Like I go more toward the atmospheric sound, like Dismal Lyrics. Uh, took I just interviewed him, and I can't pronounce his band name. Tomarum, um, Volcandra, um, Grima. Then there's 
shit, man. Wolves in the throne room. Panopticon is probably my favorite. Just, I just love the sound, that atmosphere. Death Haven. Uh, Death Heaven. Death Haven. Fuck. Death <laughs> Heaven. Dude, I'm t- so I can, I'll mispronounce my own name if I, if I get a chance. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, there are so many. That's the thing with it. It's when you start delving into that, that realm, uh, you find that the, when you get someone who isn't really into uh, heavy music and you play them like black metal and compared to like some death metal and things like that, they really struggle to find the differences. And I've always been like, you, you really zoom into it. Like we were talking about, you know, hate breed and devil driver, you know, just the sounds of them. People judge the sound devil driver. I worship the devil. It's like, well, actually hey, devil hey. driver's actually a, you know, a bell that, which is used to repel demons. So it's actually anti-demon. Um, but you know, and hate breed, obviously it sounds like that as well, but you know, that I'm, is like, positive hardcore. So. Yeah, uh, no, I agree completely. I mean, my f- I think my favorite song of theirs is uh, "In the Ashes We Shall uh, They Shall Rape or We Shall Reap." What it was like a single off, um, God, their second or I think it's a third or fourth album. It's just one random song I got in a Metal Hammer magazine on one of those CDs where you used to have like fifteen tracks from different artists. And I used to get into so much music using that. I had so many of those. I know the song. I just can't think of the. Uh, no, and I'm not going to do a rendition of it, just to clarify. So <laughs> you, you can just check it out afterwards. But with sort of Spotify and you know CDs and physical media, obviously you're someone who in your pod has mentioned sort of cassettes and things being an earlier part of your life. And moving on, I know that analogs kind of come back. I've got some vinyls myself. Um, there's a Bring Me the Horizon vinyl just over there, and there's a Taylor Swift vinyl, which is my fiance is behind it. So which I'm I'm completely fine with. So like with the physical media have you transitioned into digital have you stuck with analog like what's your general perception of that especially with someone from the perspective of so much metal to delve into so i've talked about this a few times on a couple of different pods um i actually got into this conversation last night with the band uh i was interviewing uh i'm not gonna give a spoiler because i'm really excited to announce this when it when it happens this is probably my best pod yet but i i liked i i prefer physical media. Like I love the nostalgia of it. Like I like being able to grab it, open it, pull out the slip, read the lyrics, still fuck them up when I sing them and listen to music and flip it around and find what I'm looking for. Streaming is convenient, but at the same time, it's frustrating. Um, I think you lose some of the audio quality in my opinion. Um, I might be wrong. I don't know. Personally, I think vinyl sounds better than anything. But I like that tangibility. And I think that goes back to music when I was younger. Like there's that safety there. There's that warmth. I'd grab a CD or a cassette. I'd play it. I would drown out the bullshit. I'd get out of my head and I would just chill the fuck out. Same now, man. There's uh, there's nothing better than grabbing a vinyl, going upstairs, spinning it, watching my kids dance around, fucking mosh with each other, you know, and listen to music as a family it just doesn't have the same like i'll play music off my streaming device it's just not the same as when i got the vinyl playing like every every single christmas eve when we open gifts here i spin christmas finals i spin Lindsay sterling's christmas i spin the chipmunks christmas i've got shit my wife loves mariah carey i can't stand that album but it's like <laughs> the pop icon of like the 90s there she absolutely loves the mariah carey christmas album but i like to spend my august burns red christmas nice uh, <laughs> i actually spent a 150 dollars on their um is it sledden hill i think it's the sledden hill vinyl uh i could be wrong but it's my favorite one uh i hate that i spent 150 bucks on it 
But, you know, whatever. If you love something, you fucking love it. So I completely agree. I mean, right next to me, you wouldn't be able to see, but I've got um, DVDs and Blu-rays and things. Just like I've got, I've got this physical media like right next to me. I've got Tarantino movies and certain films and things that I just, I, I love. Like this isn't the least it's metal but like i've got the lego movie which i love you know and it's a steel book technically it's metal so uh you know but I, i've got that physical media bug as well and i got it for vinyls um probably about eight or nine years ago um it was before i was in, in with my fiance and it was funny because i had a lot more disposable income and i was just buying vinyls left right and center for like a year or two i was like any band i really was into i was like i want to buy the vinyl and i had loads of my frame ones and things like that from a, a ton of different ones and I love physically having them as well. It's one of those which I, I do love Spotify, but it's, or I say just Spotify. It sounds like I'm a sponsor. Um, I, I like streaming and things, but the artists obviously don't get enough. And that's always a discussion, unfortunately, it is a problem where you can support artists where you can, you know, try and do it in other ways, especially with merchandise. But the because there's such a platform now, now it's so much easier for artists to come into it. I'm always have this dissonance about how I would echoes prefer it. You know, do you want every single person to be able to release something and it's a thousand voices shouting in a room? Or do you want it back in the days of like Metallica, which is you just play a few like bars and hope and someone might hear you. And like, I think Metallica got it at one of their first gigs. Someone heard them and they got a record deal. And it's like, what what do you think about the the side of saturation in a market especially one with uh, metal and other sort of more uh, underground genres well i i see the same thing in the book industry um i'm an indie author i produced my own book from scratch um there are authors out there who say that if you go indie you don't have the skill set to be published which is not true in my opinion i chose to go indie because i Got to keep my creative rights. Mm -hmm. I got to design my book cover. I got to design the interior. I didn't have to change the interior content. It was my book. The problem with that was I had to market it. And I suck mm -hmm. at marketing. I don't have a PR team. I don't have a marketing team. I'm not established. You can't get into a bookstore either as an indie. They just don't pick you up. Like it is an absolute fucking monopoly for those bigger publishers. Well, the same thing with music. It's there is an oversaturation of musical artists out there self-producing their music, just like there is with indie writers. There's an oversaturation of writers just producing their own stuff. And it is not all created equal. I personally like to think that I crafted a fucking professional book, but I know that I have had people say that the editing in it is garbage. Right. I don't think it is. It's okay. I've definitely noticed a few spots, but that's just how it is. Even JK Rowling has edit misses. We're human. We make mistakes, but it's not a total bag of trash. You know, like the art is generally unique as fuck. I have. I, I love the artwork of them to clarify. They're amazing. Thank you very much. So the artwork was done by hand with spray paint. Um, really? Wow. Digital, digital. I did not realize that. That's incredible. Do you see that? That hey, I'm going to zoom in. Do you Do see it. that on the wall right there? Mm -hmm. That's the original art for my book. It's hard to see. I can I can see it. Okay. It's but uh, that's the original art. Um, amazing. And I think the same thing goes into play with music. Like, sure, there's more of it out there. Most most of what I end up hearing seems to be pretty good, but there's some stuff I'm like, man, that sounds like shit. <laughs> um, but most of it is like really really good. Um, 
you know, at least the stuff I find, or maybe I just don't pay enough attention to the stuff I don't care for. It's convenient, but it takes the fun out of it, man. Like, I was, I think I talked about this in the fan episode. Like, there was something to going out to a show and catching that opener and be like, oh, that's fucking good, or going to the record store and buying a CD because of the cover. Um, it made the music, I don't know, more intimate. So, you know, I can doom scroll all fucking day long on SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon, uh, YouTube music, and I can find any number of bands and land on them. I mean, hell, that's how I found Creeping Death, the shirt I'm wearing right now. I was doom scrolling. Uh, I think I was playing in Force 80, and it gives you a list of the bands at the bottom. I was doom scrolling. I was like, oh, well, that cover looks cool. Click. Oh, that's fucking actually pretty good, you know? But it does take the joy out of it. So I don't know. Like, it's always prefer, a tough one. I just one. preferred like the old ways. Maybe it's because I'm a 42 year old stuck in his ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those. It's like we. No, I want to. No, I'm going to change. I'm going to change course a little bit because we touched upon your books. And so with your books, you know, when you went into writing them, I know that uh, from your website it shows that you have been very interested in, you know, apocalyptic horror in in a for a lot or apocalyptic fiction in a lot of ways since you were young. Do you think yeah. that the appeal of a dystopian future kind of links in with one of the reasons you enjoy um, certain elements of heavy metal, like potentially the the trauma potentially element of it or is it the escapism i myself love you know sci-fi and star wars and stuff so i've got an escapism thing i really enjoy as well myself but do you think those are potentially um interconnected or is there a different reason you believe you are into uh not only consuming uh, apocalyptic fiction but also writing it i like apocalyptic fiction because of the escapism i don't like contemporary work I can't escape trauma if the trauma is written real time. I don't, I don't like reading books about death and just nasty shit if I can relate to it. I feel that with the apocalypse, it takes the reality out of it. You step into a speculative world that doesn't exist and it makes it more distant. So the easiest way I can describe it is there's a book out there called On Killing. And it talks about the stages of grief, um, how hard it is to kill someone, how the closer you get to a person to kill them, you know, it goes into different stages like shooting a missile, hitting them with your car, shooting them with your gun, up close choking them, you know, it talks about those differences. Why would I read a book like that? A writer who wants to know about death. It's um, interesting. The macabre intrigues me to clarify. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not uh, uh, shaken by that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but when I'm when I'm reading about real world murder, I just I don't get into it, man. Like I don't want to read a story that could that that has essentially happened. Like people recreating just normal everyday homicides. Like I have a high value for human life, um, partly because of these sustained losses I've had over the years. Um, there's so much more I wish I could talk about in this particular subject. I just, I can't do it at this time. <laughs> I have to wait until I am cleared of some of my commitments in life. That's the best way to say it. But really it boils down to not being able to, to relate 
if I kill a kid in the apocalypse, it is what it is to me. Like, okay, it's the apocalypse. That didn't really happen. That kid's not real. But when it's a contemporary novel that takes place in Manhattan and there's a double homicide and a murdered child, it hurts me. Like it physically hurts me. I can't get through it. Um, I definitely do not like uh, horror stories that are that have flooded the fucking indie industry that are just kind of the uh, natural born killers style of story. Like just brutally cold murderers. I, for one, a lot of writers fuck up the personality types. They just don't understand true socio, true sociopaths. They regurgitate what they've seen on TV. How can I explain that? Um, I have had one-on-one interactions with legit sociopaths. <laughs> um, and there is a difference. And what we see on TV and reading books doesn't do it for me. Now there are people out there that are just fucking fucked up. Why would I want to read about that? I just don't. That's me. My take on it. Um, nothing against the writers. I just don't fucking like it. You know, I like apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I, li- I like catch. I like space sagas where I'm out in space. You know, I'm reading a book right now. Um, Dead silence. I'm on page like 15. I started it last night. Um, it's a sp- it's a space horror. It's fucking cool. Like. It actually seems really cool. Like I really want to know where this is going, but it opened up with a lot of death, but it doesn't bother me because it's in another reality. So no, I to- I totally understand exactly what you're saying, and I want to link in with that is with when it comes to you writing your own books. Like, what is the actual process? Because obviously, you mentioned about you know research to a degree not not specifically research but you know kind of figuring things out like i'm always interested with writers like how it is do you have like notebooks do you do it on the computer do you have like when you have moments of inspiration you write do you make yourself write each evening like what's the general process of you yourself creating these uh, these books these novels i'm unique um from what i have been told as far as my processes because I'm, I don't do a lot of front load research. I don't stick to any format. I actually free write my first draft um, to get the story out. I don't overwrite where I think a lot of authors do uh, based on a lot of interviews I've read. Like a lot of guys, like a lot of authors say, be prepared to delete, you know, a, a good chunk of your manuscript after you write it because it's too much. I have a problem finding words um, my writing's very quick. Uh, it takes me forever to write, but the bringing the story on is very quick. Um, I am what there's two types of writers. Uh, I'm sure there's a fucking matrix out there that breaks these writers down even more, but there's uh pantsers and, and, um, there are outliners. I hope I got that right. You know, some people like to sit down and write, write outlines, pre-plan the whole book, get everything laid out. Others sit down and write by the seat of their pants. Uh, my novel, uh, A Thousand Miles to Nowhere, I did totally panting. Uh, I might have had pants on, maybe sometimes, but I was just writing. Um, I rewrote the book seven times Wow! before I even took it in for edits. And then I edited it, edited it. I had seven edits done here. Let's use that. I, have, I had it 
corrected seven times. Jesus, I cannot talk today, man. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, my process is also so there was. I'm going to give a shout out to Scott Singler right now because he said something to me at a book signing that I didn't understand when he was saying it, but I got it later. He said to me, write what you know. And I was like, I can't, man. Like, I'm not allowed. And he's like, dude, no, just write what you know. I was like, I can't. Um, they're going to tell me I can't write that. you know. So I figured it out. It's write what you know. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean what you do for a living. Write what you know. I know trauma. I know hurt, I know pain, I know suffering, and I know how to be creative because I used my creativity to survive as a kid. Um, hence the story, Michael's Home. That was a story about me as a kid surviving um, in some aspects. Uh, I guess you could call it surviving. Um, but there's a, there's, a, there's a point in that story. It's a very short story. I wrote it uh, pretty drunk on Memorial Day 2018. Was it 2018? Shit, no. 2016. Memorial Day 2016. Um, There's a a point in it where the kid cooks uh, a crawdad in a a beer can. Well, I did that uh, camping with my dad between fifth and sixth grade. I actually lost my shoes in in the river and I ended up wearing snow boots the whole school year and got picked on for that. I actually got beat up a few times for having snow boots. Some kid actually took my boot off me and hit me in the head with it a couple of times. Oh, Kids were mean in the 90s, man. I thought um, it was going to be a fun story. I'm sorry. That's why I, no, I was like, oh, snow, oh, snow boots in school. That's cool. Oh, no, it's yeah, not. Sorry. No. Uh, <laughs> nothing I say is ever going to be like cheerful. Um, <laughs> dude, when I finished my book, somebody, uh, when I still had an active Twitter account, somebody tweeted me and goes, um, I don't, word it. I don't want to discredit it. I'm not going to get it verbatim, but they basically asked if I was okay. Why would I write a book that sad uh, to get them? I was like, thank you. That was an awesome compliment. Uh, but much like Michael's home, there's a lot of trauma that actually occurred to me in a thousand miles to nowhere. There is a scene specifically in part two that I, I actually did. Um, and that was a breaking point for me. Are we even on the same subject anymore? I feel like I just went right you down. You just keep going. Keep going. Go um, like you, with, where are you going with this with A Thousand Miles <laughs> to Nowhere? The trauma within, you know, writing. Because that's your second novel, wasn't it? Yeah. So, well, I wrote up. So I have published a short story. I have published a novel. And I have published a poem through the Horror Writers Association. It's actually the only piece where I was actually published by somebody else. And the fact that it was the Horror Writers Association is huge. It was the uh, the poem was called Crumb, and the it's an ebook done for mental health awareness. Go figure. And they published it. It's only available on their website uh, for download. I actually need to get it on my website. I uh, keep me in the do, and I forget. But it's called Of Horror and Hope. And I was very happy that they took that poem because I'd never written a poem before, and I got really angry because I couldn't write. Uh, an anxiety type story. Like they wanted a mental health story and I couldn't write one. I could not come up with a flash piece. So I wrote a poem. Didn't edit it. I just sent it to him. I was like, fuck it. They'll either like it or they won't. Everything I've ever sent to anyone's been rejected. So fuck it. They actually got back to me. He's like, loved it. You're published. I'm like, Oh, and then they gave me a check for $5, which to me was huge. First $5 I've ever made on a published piece. Um, you know, 
you know, never mind the money I made on my my actual novel, which wasn't much at all. Uh, you would think that you know I've sold a couple thousand copies. You'd think I made a lot of money. Mm-mm, I didn't make a goddamn thing. I think I made like two bucks a book. Um, might be. I don't know. Uh, I never pay attention. I just get my monthly things. But yeah, man, um, a lot of trauma thrown into my stories. The story. So in my hardcover, there's a, a note said also published confronting darkness. I actually pulled that story. I didn't publish it. Um, I wanted to rewrite it. Uh, that story uh, has changed concepts several times and I'm not ready to publish it. So there's that. And then I'm in the process of writing what will essentially be my third novel, but my second novel published, but I'm going to do something different. I'm going to try and get it published by a big company. I want someone else to pick it up and publish it. Um, publishing my own shit gets expensive. And I'd like somebody else to pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) With all of your sort of writing and things, how many projects do you have? Like, do you have lots of different things going on in like notebooks and et cetera? Or have you just kind of somewhat focused on these two upcoming things? I don't take notes. Rewriting and the upcoming thing. (laughs) So once again, I got to give a shout out to um, a certain writer. uh, Jesus Christ. And I forgot his name. This is horrible. Uh, Robert Kirkman, Jesus Christ, maker of Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. I got to have a small conversation with him on a handful of times. And one of the things he says is, yeah, I don't write down my stories or my ideas. I just keep my head. And if they come back, sweet, I'll write them one day. I took that philosophy and um, I don't take notes uh, on what Zero. Yeah, no, zero. Oh, I wow. Just, I mean, I, I know when you said you about the drafts and things, I was like, okay, but no, literally nothing written down. That is incredibly impressive. Zero. Hence the uniqueness. I don't do anything. I write. You know what's also funny? I don't read my stories or listen to my stories or listen to my podcasts after they're done. I don't, I don't do listen it. to my podcasts. Yeah. I, 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 I do not do that. <laughs> nope. I don't. I, I send it to my editor. I said, fix what you need to fix. Add the intro, the outro, put my thing on the bottom, load it to fucking YouTube, and I will do the rest. But yeah, no, I don't take notes, man. It's pointless. I know what stories I want to write. I've got about 15 or so stories in my head right now. I came up with another one last night. It's actually a spinoff of of an original concept I have. Um, It's a space story, um, but it's also apocalyptic. Everything I write will have themes in the apocalypse, themes in family values, because it's huge to me, uh, because as a parent, I believe we should give everything for our children, fucking everything. If that means I am to suffer 10 lifetimes over, guess fucking what? I'm going to suffer. Um, there was another thing. Uh, ex- being open with mental health awareness. Um, I like exposing my trauma. Uh, to me, it's healthy. So I'm going to give another shout out because I love giving people credit where credit is due. Um, some people may know who I'm talking about. Others might not. I got to work with um, the Latrell brothers when I was on my last deployment. I met Morgan first and I met Marcus second. Um, But Morgan had come home from a firefight and had said something to me. And by home, I mean back to base uh, from a firefight had said something to me that was told to him, which is in general, when bad shit happens, we should talk about it. Dude, that stuck to me. And I can't thank him enough for that. Now, I'm not going to get into the details of any of that shit. For one, it wasn't my firefight. 
Two, it's not my story to tell. And honestly, I don't know if he wants me talking about it, but he did say that to me. And I'm not going to take that away because it's true. We should talk about it. Not talking about it only makes things worse. So I love talking about it. It it makes people uncomfortable as fuck sometimes. But guess what? I'm going to talk about it. If you don't like it, walk the fuck away. Or tell me kindly, dude. uh, No. Okay. TMI. Understood. Um, I just, I'm going to tell you things that you probably don't want to fucking hear. I just, it's how I am. I'm going to say it. I expose myself for all the bullshit that's happened to me. Why keep that shit in? Why? Um, it, all it did was hurt me. It caused me to have a fucking mental breakdown that I almost didn't come back from. Like, it was bad, man. It was bad. So I talk about it now. I'm very much so. And the podcast helps you with that as well, because, you know, one of the things I found about as a podcast, you know, when you start it, you think, yeah, that'll like when you think of starting, you've got a, a degree of an idea in your head. And then as soon as you record the first episode, it's it's very different to how you kind of imagined it. And I've had friends of mine who I've had on the show who haven't been on podcasts and things before. And they're always beforehand. They're a little bit nervous. And I'm like, it's just a conversation. You know, once you get into it and you forget everything's being recorded, really, it's just it's a natural thing. And, you know, I've been doing this for uh, six years now, and it's one of those things that I've learned, which is nowadays, especially because there are so many distractions, there is not as much or people don't make as much time to just chat, you know, just to focus and, and tune out everything else and just kind of hone in. And I think that speaking about your emotions and your feelings and things in a constructive, healthy way is amazing. And with a podcast, especially where it's episodic, especially when you're the host, you can kind of drip feed the audience bits and pieces of yourself at a pace without necessarily having to offload everything in one go. So have you found that with your podcast? So the episode I filmed last night, I think I, I got closer uh, I don't like my first two episodes very much. Um, the people I interviewed are fucking amazing humans, man. Uh, I actually work closely with uh, Elijah from Dismal Larians daily. Um, he is truly becoming a, an amazing friend of mine. And I, I, I have a hard time picturing life kind of without him on the other end of my phone. I've never met him in person, but he has been such an awesome human being. Um those two cat pods just you can tell I'm I'm new, but I'm never gonna change them. I'm not gonna take them down. Uh I want people to see them. And even though I think I'm on, I think I just episode nine technically, which would be episode eight of the normal stuff, but episode nine because I had a fan episode in there. Last night it just went so fucking well, man. Like I just found my groove. I figured out how to kind of introduce the pod and break into discussion, make it sound natural. It's not scripted. So I don't have pre thought out questions. Like I literally just listen to their music, ask them to come on, and then we talk. Um, and we kind of go from there. And I tell them up front, like, hey, this isn't scripted. It's going to get weird. Uh, I'm going to forget what I'm talking about. And we're just going to have to make it work. So last night went really well. And I think I'm getting it just like with writing um, my book. It took me till about part two before I really got my groove. And you can see it when you read it, like you can tell there it's, I, I found my groove in part two. Oddly enough, I started writing part two after I went to college. Um, I stopped writing because I did not know what the fuck I was doing. I actually went to college, got a degree in fucking English lit 
and taught myself the basics. Um, yeah. So I went back to my book and finished writing. I think after school, because I was getting up at like four in the morning to do it. And then I was just staying until midnight and then going to a day job that worked way over 10 hours a day. Like they, if the math doesn't add up, there's a reason for that. I did not have enough time in a day. I would literally be up for fucking 30 something hours sometimes and be like, I need more Red Bull and bangs. Um, sweating my ass off. My blood pressure's up to here. I'm like, fuck. Anybody get me? Eh, fucking squirrel. Get <laughs> your journal. Fuck. You know? Um, <laughs> but, you know, fucking, uh, yeah, I think I got, it. I think I'm getting it. Um, there's always going to be improvement. Uh, just like with my writing. Um, it's a constant revision. Uh, this, this book I'm writing uh, right now, uh, the, the one that I'm hoping to have picked up early next year, I did an outline for the first time. But there's still a bit of pantser in me. The outline's more of like a, a spine. Like I just work around it. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those with all of the creative endeavors that you have and the passions that you have as well, they all intertwine with obviously what you mentioned about honesty and it's expression. Your know, music's about expression and honesty. And all of these things are vessels of ways for you to show the world who you are in a variety of different mediums or allow them to kind of look into themselves as well, which I think is really telling and it's really important. It, it's just something that, you know, honesty is... It's so undervalued, I think, in so many different ways. And that's why I think certain music to me is, I, I find to be quite disingenuous uh, because it's just that with with writing in itself, there's a degree of you that has to go down on the page and you have to kind of translate your own thoughts onto paper. And the fact that you do that, and as well as when you interview people, you don't have that kind of plan just kind of shows the with you going with the flow and trusting your own instincts. So I want to ask, have you... I know this will probably link into things that you can't specifically talk about and things, but with your instincts in themselves, linking with your honesty, have you always been an honest individual and have you been sort of following your instincts correctly over the years or has it taken time to kind of learn and navigate through that? Granted, no one is perfect. So. Oh no, dude, I was, I was not always an honest person. Um, I stole so much as a kid. Um, I would steal CDs. I would steal food. Um, I, I had to, I had to steal food at times. Um, but no, I was a very dishonest kid. Like I, I, I fucking, I did some stupid shit and I'm very fortunate that I didn't get into any real trouble. Um, you know, we've, we, every, there's not a fucking person out here who hasn't lied, 100%, you, know? 100%. you know, whether it's an exaggeration of a true event or just fucking lie, we've all done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, I haven't always been honest. Uh, I think coming to terms with myself and realizing that the lack of honesty in our society as a whole right now with all the bullshit you see everywhere, like you cannot look at a screen or read something that honestly, you don't fucking know if it's real anymore. Like what is real? So to me, what is real is me. I am becoming for myself, the most real version of myself I can be. Uh, don't overread that. Somebody's going to be like, he's he can't be that. He could possibly be that. means he's not. No, don't overread that. We are all going to hold back a little. You know, I cannot wait for the day where I can get on here and tell everyone exactly everything 
that has built up to this point in my life. There's this one aspect of my life that I want to talk about so bad that would help me heal so much. I just can't do it yet. And I'm working toward that. And it's not that I don't want to. I just fucking can't. I, I can't. I have to think about my family as a whole. I have to provide for them. If I lose my job, I have no fucking money. <laughs> so I won't have the money to support my podcast and my passions and pay for food and shit. I refuse to do that. When I was a kid, I used to have to wipe my ass with my fucking homework because we didn't have toilet paper. But my parents had booze, fucking heroin, crack, and cigarettes. Explain that to me. Yes, I had a house over my head, which my younger brother at one point did not, which my sister at one point did not. I'm the oldest of seven, I think. Um, It got worse. And I'm not going to tell their stories. It got worse after I left. Now, I had my fair share early on in life. So... I focus on that, but yeah, no, I, I, I followed in the footsteps of the people I was around. I was a very dishonest human. I lied about shit. I did in the military because I didn't want people to see me as less than my ego was like, I was chasing my fucking ego. I, I was chasing my ego up until about a year ago. I finally said, fuck it. Um, you know, like, dude, I just, I, I stopped chasing my ego and just got humble with myself. And I've talked about this with a few of my friends. I've talked about it with my wife, you know, like it's gotta be me, man. So only way to do that is talk about shit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Take me back. <laughs> no, well, it's, it's one of those, it's, you know, your life experience comes from your mistakes as well as your standard experiences that aren't necessarily classed as mistakes, but every, Every element of life has its own complex set of challenges and the way that you're trying to show to the world kind of what you've learned from there, I think is commendable in all that you do in your in your writing and in your podcast and just in your general expression. And I think it is inspiring for someone, you know, to have gone through the kind of things that you have touched upon there and to come out the other side still with, you know, the honest and positive outlook and still trying to be a force for change and, you know, your podcast, although you will find yourself to have some uh, benefits from doing it because it's it's doing a podcast is something that I find for my mental health and creative output is incredible for me you will find the same as you're already finding, not to mention the benefit you're putting out to the rest of the world as well. So to wrap up here, are there any sort of final words you want to say uh, specifically about um, your podcast? Specifically with the podcast, Mm -hmm. I just really want people to stop seeing someone, including themselves, as when they get mental health treatment, as weak. Um, I struggle with that. I refused to get mental health treatment. I refused to acknowledge I had PTSD. I refused to acknowledge I was depressed and had anxiety. Uh, I refused it because I didn't want to be seen as weak. And a big part of that was I was chasing my ego. Uh, there's a big stigma in my my field that if you get mental health treatment, you're fucking broken human. You're not broken. You're just, you've sustained a shit ton of stress. So I want people to know it's okay. Like, dude, we're all fucked up. Like, there's no one out there that's not fucked up except for the kids. We need to salvage that innocence as long as you can. But to do that, you got to take care of yourself first. So get the treatment you need. I did. It was fucking great. I took five months off work. 
fucking said bye. If I if I couldn't get treatment for myself, I wasn't gonna be around to do the work, to pay the bills, to fend for my family. Like I had to. I I, I hit a wall. So I want I I want people to get the fucking help they need at whatever means possible. And the only way I know how to do that is by telling my story and having people that we generally look up to tell their stories, because if they can get on there and do it and I can get up here, I'm just a fucking somebody like it's a random fucking dude. Why can't you? And I had one goal. I just wanted one fucking person to get help. And that happened almost immediately. I had somebody actually reach out to me and say, thank you, David. You gave me the inspiration I needed to get help. And I am now. Dude, fucking made my heart. Like after, I think it was after the second episode. I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. That's how much people needed to hear it. You know, I've only got 72 subscribers, but I'll tell you what, I think everyone who has subscribed and everyone who has listened has got a little something out of it. And that's what I want. I want people to benefit from my bullshit. I want people to benefit from the bullshit of others. That's it. I mean, that, that's incredible. I wish I'd asked you about the books first because then it would have made that ending was absolutely fantastic. But with the, the books and everything else you've got going on, you know, tell everyone else on top of everything you've been saying, just any last notes of where people can find you, the releases you've got, where they can start with your sort of writings, just the kind of, you know, plug yourself in front of everyone. And oh, that's a fucking Lily. I am shady. <laughs> um, it's just davidcurvis.com. I have a website. Uh, I need to do some work on it, but you can get my books there. You can, um, link to my podcast there. Podcast is called We Are Melomaniacs. Real quick, I fucked it up. My first two episodes, I called it We Are Melomanic because I originally wanted it to be the title We Are Melomanic. Melomanic, you know, just like the idea of like mental health and music. Well, when I had the logo design, I had it designed as Melomaniac. Yeah, well. Oops, I can't spell. I have a fucking editor for that. Um, and I didn't have spell check. So I kept with the Melomaniac. I actually like it. And it, it goes pretty well, too. But yeah, so you can find me there. Um, I'm on YouTube right now. Uh, my editor hasn't been able to get my videos converted for uh, SoundCloud. So we can distribute to Spotify or Apple yet. But it's going there. I do have two videos up on SoundCloud right now. Episode one, episode two. So you can go there and watch them. But yeah, just my website davidkerfus.com or we are melomaniacs on youtube wonderful well thank you once again uh, for speaking with me and for all of the you know positive energy you're putting out into the world you know taking down some of the misconceptions around heavy music and death metal including as as well as some of the misconceptions around sort of mental health and trauma and speaking about it and as you say you you know at least one person that you have helped but i'm sure you've helped many already and i'm sure there are many more that you're going to help and even myself who has not been through uh, the degree of extreme trauma that you have mentioned, you know, your podcasts have still really touched me and meant a lot to me in a lot of ways. So I really appreciate just as a fan, as well as a uh, fellow creator to thank you for uh, putting that out there. It, uh, it means a lot. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. No worries at all. Anytime. And that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, my friends, as I said in the intro, make sure you check out David's show, which is on YouTube. And I believe he's trying to get onto podcast apps and things like that as well, as well as his website, his poem Crumb from the Of Horror and Hope collection, and a few other bits and pieces he spoke about.
But what else have I got going on? Well, I recently recorded a conversation with Neda Maktari. She is an architect student as well as a creator of posters and things. And it's just a really cool conversation about fandom and design and passions, those sorts of things. So that will be out probably in two weeks time. I believe next week we'll be releasing episode four of Rebels Reviewed, where myself, David Math go through Star Wars Rebels and talk about each season. So we've tackled the final season in the kind of road to Ahsoka that we're doing with the Ahsoka live action series coming out. So you can find that on the YouTube channel of Genuine Chit Chat if you want to watch the video version, or you can find the normal version on this feed or on the feed of Comics in Motion. Then the week after that, as I said, is going to be Nadir Maktari's. And then after that is probably going to be another conversation with my friend Matt. That's going to be the first episode in our Hot Takes series. The first subject of the Hot Takes is Elon Musk. So you speak about him and why a lot of people really don't like him and some of the things about him you may not actually realise. And there's going to be a video version of that as well, as there will be with Nadir. We've then also got plans for another episode of Disney Discussions, and that's going to be underrated live-action movies heralded by Spider-Dan. Now, I don't think that'll be posted on this feed. I may upload a video version onto YouTube, but that will be coming out at some point in the ethereal future. In addition to that, I am talking with a couple more Star Wars content creators, so I'm very excited about that. Once I've actually recorded those episodes, then I'll be able to give more information on those. And then there's a few other bits and pieces floating around, as there usually is. Plus, there's a few guest spots I've been doing. So I was recently on Star Wars Timeline to speak about Ahsoka throughout Clone Wars, Rebels, and everything like that. I was also on Reckless Rebellion to talk about Thrawn for the upcoming Ahsoka series as well. But that episode's probably going to be out in a week or so. Then obviously there's my episode of Star Wars Comics in Canon as usual, and there's just other, there's just a lot of stuff going on. I'm quite busy at the moment, which is great. But if you want to find out more information on that, obviously check out the show notes. There's all kinds of information. There's prior guest spots I've done, the last episode I did, all kinds of information there. So show notes are always the best place to check. But in addition to that, you can follow me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. You can leave reviews for me on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods. You can leave a rating on Spotify, those sorts of things. And if anyone does any of those things, or if you've already done it, send a screenshot of that to me via social media or via email at genuinechitschat at outlook.com and I'll send you a free Patreon episode. So that can be anything of my Star Wars reviews, that can be one of my episodes of Megan, that can be a lot of my episodes of Megan about like trips or uh, movie reviews or anything like that. Just let me know what you kind of fancy and I can send that to you no problem at all. Speaking of that, the way to support me financially is on Patreon or on Coffee. So on Patreon you can give a monthly donation as little as £1 a month or on Coffee it is a one-off donation. No matter what you do you'll still get bonus content. Patreon subscription will get you instant access to 170 plus episodes of Afterthoughts and a new one comes out every week whereas on coffee I'll just send you a few depending on how much you donate will depend on how many you get you can request whatever on that and you can give as little as a pound on that and I'll still send you a couple of episodes of Afterthoughts so lots of ways to get your hands on bonus content in addition please subscribe to my YouTube channel because everything that I do there is on playlists all my Star Wars stuff all my genuine chit chat stuff a few other bits and pieces obviously there are video versions of the majority of conversations there as well so it's just a great place and I'm trying to get my subscribers up once again I think that's relatively everything to know aside from sign up to the Pop Culture Collective newsletter. A link is in the description, but in essence, it's just a weekly newsletter and you get kept up to date with everything that I'm up to, as well as a few other amazing content creators. You just get a paragraph or so from each of us just saying what we're doing. So it's just a really great way to keep up to date without having to follow everyone on social media. But I think that's going to be enough for me, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I appreciate each and every one of you listening all the way up to the very end. I'll speak to you next week of Rebels Reviewed episode slash season four. And then after that, we'll continue with the usual programming. And then we're getting closer to the Ahsoka series. Now we'll be doing weekly discussion shows on that on my YouTube channel and on the feed of Comics in Motion. But uh, I'll give more information on that when we get a little bit closer to the time. But friends, thank you again. And I'll speak to you next week. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit chat and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.